Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. your host, Dr. Morgan, and you are in for a special treat. I don't usually do this, but in this episode, I'm giving you a sneak peek into one of our Empowered Secure Love group coaching calls. I just felt like this call was really important. I'm going into mother wounds, the types of mother wounds. And then I also talk about self-soothing, some of the ways to do self-soothing and why it is so important to learn how to self-soothe as you're going on a healing journey. So I have those two clips for you. I think you're really going to love this episode. You might end up taking notes. And of course, as always, you know, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. I hope you enjoy these clips. Are you at that place where you realize, oh shoot, I am the common denominator in my relationships. I'm the problem. It's me. And you have that awareness and now you don't know what to do. I have great news for you. The Empower Secure Love program has helped over 500 women. And this month in October, we have some really juicy bonuses. The program is better than it's ever been. This is seriously a wonderful time for you to do the work, finally become that securely attached version of you so that you can enjoy dating, that you can feel confident and able to attract the kind of relationship that you actually deserve, someone who you could really build a lifelong partnership with and no more games, no more, no more frustration. Okay. If you're really ready for that and you know that 2024 needs to be different than 2023 and you know, Hey, I'm the one who can take ownership. I want to invite you to apply to the empowered secure love program. We have limited spots this month. This program is my whole heart and soul, my life's work. It's everything that I know that someone needs in order to become securely attached. And we've had so many success stories, just over 500 women who've really changed their lives in this program. So what are you waiting for to apply? All you have to do is go to the link in my Instagram bio and hit apply now. There's also a link in the show notes. And I want to encourage you, this application call is a relationship assessment to learn more about what are you doing in your relationships and then to answer any questions you have about the program. It's a no pressure call. It's your first step in potentially changing your life. So there's nothing to lose here by learning more about yourself and more about the program and it could possibly change your life. So I just want to encourage you, if you've been on the fence, if you've been putting it off, or maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if I have time, you deserve to do the work to change your life. You absolutely deserve it. Nothing changes until you change. So take that step today, hit the apply button, fill out the app. It takes you maybe two minutes and book a call to speak with one of our program advisors. All right, y'all. 
Let's get into the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome. I'm so excited for this today. We have such good topics. We're going to talk about mother wounds and we're going to talk about self-soothing. And I want to make space for any questions that you have. So definitely have your questions ready to go. I really want to do some Q&A, whatever's coming up for you. I just want to make space for it. So have those ready. And I just am so grateful for my time with you all. All, all the one-on-one time I've been having lately, I, I just know that there's so many of you who are working really hard, who are really showing up for yourselves and breaking the pattern. So I just, I see you, I recognize it. It's not the easy path. If it was easy, everybody would be healing themselves. So can we just give ourselves some gratitude, cheer ourselves on today? It really is the more the more challenging path. It's the brave path to be willing to look at yourself and really do this work. So I recognize you. I'm cheering you on. Um, say hello in the chat. We definitely want to hear from you. Yes. Thank you, Keith. Ann. I see that. <clears throat> and I want to... I want to start today um, with a meditation. I've just been loving doing that with you all. So we are, we're going to kick it off with a little meditation. And I think this will be, this will be fun for us all in some ways. So I want you to just roll your shoulders back, get nice and comfy, relax, take some deep, deep breaths. Okay. Close your eyes. If you can, you want to put your hand over your heart. And then I really just want you to connect to some things that you've overcome. That's what I want you thinking about. Like anything, anything that's been challenging that you've been been able to overcome, maybe big accomplishments, maybe it was being able to graduate from university or being able to help take care of a family member or showing up for a friend when they really needed it. But I want you to just think of some things that you go, yeah, you know, I, I did that. I want you to just kind of sit in some of your accomplishments and really acknowledge those. What comes to mind for you? What's something, something that you're really proud of? Sometimes it's just that, hey, I was really struggling and I still managed to get out of bed and I still managed to go to work and show up in my life, even though I was struggling. I I still managed to show up. And sometimes that's the big accomplishment. But just take a moment, really feel into it. What's something you've done that was really, really challenging and you persisted and you got through it? And then just feel into that feeling. And I want you thinking about what does this mean about you? It means you are persistent. You are powerful. You show up for the things that matter, right? You've survived 100% of your worst days. That you can be strong and that you can get through things. I want you just really feeling into that, reminding yourself of just how powerful you are.
Now I want you to really feel into the most powerful emotion, which is gratitude. Give yourself gratitude for showing up, gratitude for getting through whatever you identified. Just give yourself so much gratitude. You can say, thank you, insert your name, right? Like, thank you, Morgan, for showing up, persisting, even when it was hard. I want you to really give yourself a prayer of gratitude. Give yourself acknowledgement, right? Acknowledging your ability to be persistent. Just really feel in, give yourself that gratitude and that praise and allow yourself to receive it. Maybe you feel some warmth kind of washing over your body. Maybe you feel some happiness. You feel some joy, but just allow it to be there and receive Receive the gratitude that, hey, you showed up, you pushed through, you were resilient. Receive the gratitude. You can do hard things, right? You know, you've got your back. And remind yourself, you can come back to this at any time. This is always available to you. You can always show up for yourself and acknowledge yourself with gratitude. That is always, always available to you. It just takes you slowing down and taking some time to really acknowledge it. So give yourself so much gratitude just for being here today. And whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes and we will dive into today. I'm curious how that was for you. And one of the things I want you to think about is like, how often do you show up as your ideal parent? How often are you slowing down enough to acknowledge yourself, to acknowledge the things you've done well, to give yourself praise, to practice gratitude, right? Like practice the gratitude, acknowledge yourself, show up as the ideal parent. It's so, so powerful when we take the time to do it. So I hope that was, that was good for you. Ashley, I'm glad, I'm glad that was good. Um, remember it's always, always, always available. And then I want to dive in to talking about mother wounds. I want to talk about the different types of mother wounds. So we're going to we're going to dive into that. Sarah, I love what you said. You said I hadn't ever taken the time to think about what I've overcome. Definitely need to try that more. Yes. It's interesting the research on performance is really kind of a cool fact. Like the research on improving performance or improving how we show up in our lives, what we've realized is if we say you are resilient, you are capable, you if you attach it to an identity piece and you remind yourself, wow, I'm resilient, I am capable, I can do hard things. When you attach it to that, it's actually so much more effective than just saying, like, oh, you're so smart, or wow you know, you are, you're intelligent, you're brilliant. The, the trait and identity that's really powerful for humans is when we praise our ability to figure things out and our ability to keep going and our resilience, that's actually more impactful than just saying, wow, you're so smart or you're so intelligent. So something to remember for how you talk to yourself, can you praise yourself when you're resistant or when you're persistent so that that will reinforce the kind of identity that is most helpful. Um, 
So yeah, that's, that's kind of why I was thinking about that, that meditation. Mother wounds, mother wounds. Okay. We're going to dive into it. I wrote this out in my iPhone. Okay. So there's different types of mother wounds. And these are not necessarily clinical terms, although they can definitely relate to ways that things show up clinically. The first type of mother wound is if you experience the the self-obsessed or self-involved mother. So in this kind of relationship, the the mom, and this doesn't necessarily have to be your mom. This is like your primary caretaker, right? But in this kind of relationship, what happens is the mom develops codependency with the children. The mom sees the children as an extension of her. So there's no me and mom. It's simply confluence and codependence. And what can happen is the family system becomes organized around the mom. Um, And a lot of times what happens here is the child learns, I can't take up too much space. I don't want to be too successful. I don't want to shine too brightly because mom is the center of the universe, right? So there's a dimming down of your light and really sort of preventing yourself from taking up space. So that's the first type of mother wound is when we have the self-obsessed mother. And then the second type is the unavailable and rejecting mother. So this is where you have a mom that was likely neglectful and maybe there was food and shelter provided, but we're talking about emotional neglect. So a mom that was not able to be attuned you know, I talk about attunement a lot. What is attunement? Attunement is where we're tuned in. We are curious about emotions. We're curious about needs. At times, we're able to be so tuned in that we see our partner and we say, hey, you know, something's wrong. Like there's a proactiveness of care, care and thoughtfulness. That's it's a good way to describe attunement. Um So in the second mother wound here, the unavailable rejecting mother, uh, this is where there's neglect. And likely what happens is if you are being neglected, then you also learn to neglect yourself. So you, a, a lot of times this can lead to avoidant attachment tendencies where you're learning to shut down emotionally, because if you're not being tuned into, then it's not safe for you to have emotions. So then you're disconnecting completely from your emotions. So this is the unavailable rejecting mother wound. Um, and then obviously this impacts how we show up in relationships. A lot of times you're probably going to attract some anxiously attached partners or disorganized partners and just can create a lot of concern because, or a lot of um, toxic patterns. Because if I can't tune into me, then I certainly can't tune into someone else very well, right? The third type of mother wound is the hot or cold mother. This is a lot of times what develops disorganized attachment. This is unpredictable. So you have a mother that could be very leaned in at times and almost like a helicoptery parent, and then they're nowhere to be found. Sometimes this happens with parents who have to travel a lot for work. We see this where kids are like, well, one minute they're here and then one minute they're completely gone. Um, Not that that's all parents who travel because there are parents who travel who make an effort to 
still be connected, right? Um, but the idea is this is this is where your attachment figure was available and tuned in sometimes. And then other times they're completely distant and checked out and not available. Also happens a lot with kids who experienced substance abuse in their parents, right? Of like, maybe when they're sober, they're tuned in and they're present and that's, that's helpful. But then if they're drinking, they're not available. They're, they're not able to be tuned in. So this is a lot of times connected with erratic behavior, right? Your parent could have suffered from mental health issues. It could have been anxiety, depression, and this unpredictability of the parental figure will create a chaotic atmosphere. And what this does is you tend to see chaos as an adult. You're looking for relationships that uh, recreate chaos. Um, And you'll struggle with regulating your emotions. And there's also going to be a lot of a lot of difficulty here with building trust with being vulnerable, right? Because I don't have trust that once I am vulnerable, that the relationship's going to stay. So those are three types of mother wounds. Any of you kind of relate to this? Relate to these types of mother wounds? I'm sure some of you do. We talked about the self-obsessed mother, the unavailable rejecting mother, and then the hot or cold mother. Um, another, another couple types here, let me just pull these up. So here's another one, which is where we have the role reversal. So a lot of us end up being parentified children where you become the mother to your parent. That's pretty common in, in trauma and early childhood trauma. So, um, that's another type of mother wound where you actually had to become the parent in your home, right? That that was required. And then another type here, I'm like, I can just go on and on and on all the, all the mother wounds, y'all, um, the perfectionist mother. And this is, I see this one a lot. So I want to speak to this one a little bit. Think about this. If you have a mom who is struggling with perfectionism, she's modeling it to you that that is required, right? It's like her way of being. So you learn then to also develop perfectionistic tendencies, but then she's also showing up that way towards you and having perfectionistic standards for you. And of course, perfectionism is rooted in fear, rooted in anxiety. It's definitely not something that people do intentionally or consciously, right? So it could be well-meaning, but you have a a mom who's setting these high standards for you and you have to get straight A's and you have to be home in a certain time. And, um, at, you know, three 15, exactly. Um, you have to look a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. What will the neighbors think? You have all these perfectionism standards that get thrown on you. And then what happens? You develop them for yourself. You also develop fear, you also start to believe, oh, I have to be perfect in order to be loved. So perfectionism is passed down. Like so often it's something that just, that just gets passed down. Um, I'm going to read the comments here. So Keith Ann is agreeing with that. Yes. And then Sarah says, my older sister is someone who I view as really influential in my, for my attachment style. 
very self-obsessed. So I felt that I couldn't take the spotlight away from her. And she got into lots of fights with my parents, making me become the parent mediator to settle the arguments. Yeah. Interesting. Who can come to mind for mother moon for mother wounds? Absolutely. I do see this with siblings quite a bit. We don't talk enough about the impact of sibling relationships on our development. So it's so true that some of these wounds might be things that you experience with siblings, right? Um, another type of mother wound I don't talk about as much. Um, is this the BFF mom, the mom that just wants to be your friend? This happens a lot to young mothers. They simply don't know how to show up as a mother. So, so what happens here is you don't have, you don't have this safe emotional space. You don't have a secure attachment figure. So then you're not able to internalize emotional safety. You're not able to develop secure attachment because you have a friend instead of a secure attachment figure, instead of a safe emotional space. So that's definitely another wound that, that I see as well. So that was definitely something to think about. And how does this apply to you? So I'm talking about mother wounds because I want you to be aware of this. I want you to be aware of it, particularly when it comes to repetition compulsion. And when you're writing out the letters, and a lot of you know, sometimes you got to write those letters multiple times. (laughs) So you might be going back to rewrite some letters. And I simply want you to be aware of the wounding and what was maybe true for your experience and how, how did you feel in relation to your mother? Um, and for a lot of us, this is really impactful too, as we look at our own decisions around motherhood. And even if it's not our own biological children, but the way that we show up as moms, right? We want to be really intentional about, cause, cause sometimes if the way that you experience motherhood was painful, you're going to have barriers and blocks around it in terms of feeling scared or, you know, maybe falling into perfectionism. And you want to be able to say, okay, these are my mother wounds. This is what I've associated with mothering. And you want to work through that as much as you can before you take on that role as mother. So there's a lot of reasons for bringing this up, mostly to give you more awareness, to help you explore these wounds. Let's just, let's just revisit it. So the self-obsessed mother, the unavailable, Hetty says, my mom was emotionally unavailable. So yes, falling here. Remember, unavailable then teaches you self-reliance. It means I only have me, which then a lot of times will teach us avoidant attachment or disorganized attachment, right? Um, the third type is the hot or cold mother. This is so common in chaos, right? So common um, for a mom to be available and then not available. And this will likely 90% of the time result in disorganized attachment, Uh, And then we had the BFF mother, the perfectionist mother and role reversal where you are the parentified child. Yeah, Destiny, absolutely. It's true that your your mom could fit into different categories, right? And I want to just clarify, whenever we're looking at how our parents showed up, you, you guys have heard me say this, I'll say it again, I'll say it again. We have to say, they were doing the best they could. And there's ways that they failed me. They were doing the best they could. And there's ways that they failed me. We need both to be true, right? We have to acknowledge both. When I acknowledge, hey, my mom was doing the best that she could, right? That also allows me to practice forgiveness 
And then I can also validate my experience by saying, and there are ways that I was failed. So whenever we're thinking about relationships with parents or even ex-partners, we have to get into that dialectic where it's true. They were doing the best they could. And it's also true. There's ways I was failed. And that's the reality. It's never all bad or all good. Okay. Well, moving right along, I do want to talk about father wounds. So I'm thinking next week we'll kind of, we'll dive into father wounds. And I think that'll also be a really, really impactful conversation. So um, stay tuned for that next week. The other thing, let's see. So Ashley says, I find it extremely rare to see a mother or father that parents securely. Am I blinded or is it as rare as I think? Really good question. So secure attachment is never about perfection. Secure attachment is about being the good enough parent that is tuned in most of the time. And that when there's ruptures, repairs are made. So I think that's an important distinction that if we see a rupture, we may not know the full story because we may not know how the repair is made. Right. So there's definitely some nuance here. Um, I will say this. I think as demands increase in work and life and all the distractions in our world, I think parents do struggle a lot to parent securely. And there definitely are parents that, that are parenting that way. And as much as you can, if you see it or you meet those people, it's a really good idea to try to model it and to try to just connect with them or watch them because they do exist. Um, I think it is probably more rare in today's society though, than it used to be just based on all the distractions and pressures and things that go on in our world. So that's, that's kind of my, my take on it. Um, and secure attachment shows up everywhere too, right? Like there's securely attached teachers, securely attached people who show up in children's lives and, as children, we want as many securely attached people in their lives as possible. I remember meeting my nephew's kindergarten teacher and Miss Miss Thompson, and my gosh, this woman's amazing. And she's secure and she's shows up well and she has clear boundaries and clear expectations, but she's also expressing how much she cares about the kids. And I literally cried like watching her interact with my nephew. I'm, I'm being dramatic, but it was just this relief that I felt of, wow, he has these amazing people in his life. And he has this really securely attached teacher who he loves. So I think the thing we want to think about is like, we have to, even as adults, like we want to create secure attachment for ourselves in as many places as we can. And if, if children are really lucky, it's going to come from their parents. And then for some of them, it's just going to come from other other places, right? And then Ashley saying, it does seem challenging to be able to do so with all the other demands. Exactly. And the goal isn't perfection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember secure is not perfection. When, when we're securely attached, we're tuned in. We care about our children's needs. And when there's a rupture, we're able to repair. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit, just a little bit about self-soothing because I think this has come up a lot. I've just been, I've just been aware of how important this is as you're doing the program. 
Okay. And, and some of you have done the program. Um, and I know you may be revisiting, but it doesn't matter wherever you're at, if you're brand new or you've been doing it for a while, I, I want you to kind of realize this. The more that you can create emotional safety and the more that you can self-soothe, the deeper you can allow your work to go. So this is, this is a really, this is a paradox. It's a paradox here of like, as I am more emotionally regulated, I can feel more, right? If I'm very emotionally dysregulated and my emotions get really big and, um, everything's really, I'm very reactive. I'm not able to really truly feel things at a deep level because it's too challenging for me. So I hope that's kind of making sense. This is something I've realized as I've gotten more and more emotionally regulated. Thank you, God. It's so helpful to be emotionally regulated in day-to-day life because I used, I used to not be you guys. Like I still remember, um, just having breakdowns, like, you know, so I think, uh, it's just funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's wild just to think how different life is when you really can just show up with emotional, emotional regulation and being able to hold things and really connect with people. It really is totally different. So anyways, it's just become more and more clear to me, the more healing work I've done that as you learn how to self-soothe and as you build that relationship with yourself, it's going to allow you to feel things more deeply. So as you're doing this work, as you're doing the program, one of the most important things that you can do is start developing the skills, start developing the routines, the rituals that help you self-soothe, that remind you that it's safe to feel. The more you can create safety in your feeling, the deeper you will go and the bigger the shifts you're going to feel. So I think this is sometimes why I really encourage people to go through the program multiple times because it takes time to develop those habits. It really does. And once you do have more of an emotionally stable um, state of being, and once you've developed the skills for self-soothing and you kind of know some of the things that work for you, then you're able to just feel things more deeply. So for example, self-soothing can look like Hey, I'm really good at my mindfulness self-compassion practice. I know how to do a self-compassion break on the spot anytime I need to do it. Or it could look like, hey, I know how to really just journal my emotions out. When things come up, I'm I'm really good at just getting it all out on paper. Um, other ways, taking a hot bath, right? That's one of my favorite things is I know if I need a hot bath, I'm gonna make space for it, right? It really helps me get back to baseline. Um and the crazy thing is, is yes, the self-soothing matters and yes, the behaviors matter because it's going to help you feel more. But one of the, I think most powerful things about self-soothing is you're teaching yourself that you're worth it. You're teaching yourself, oh, I have emotions and I'm worthy of showing up and validating those emotions, right? For some of us, we had parents or we had attachment figures that never did that for us. 
So it is a radical act that you're saying, oh, I'm worthy of making space for this. I'm worthy of taking the time to do this. And just setting aside the time is going to make change for you. Just the fact that you made it a priority is going to make some big shifts for you. And even that will just create more emotional safety because you're going, ooh, it's safe for me to feel because I know I'm worthy of tuning into myself when I have big emotions. So it's safe for me to feel I can go there. I can allow myself to acknowledge my experience because I trust myself to show up when I need it. Imagine this, if you're asking your brain to feel things and you're asking your body to be vulnerable and remember and process maybe past trauma, right? And you're asking your body to do it, but then you don't take care of yourself, right? Like you don't show up, you don't self-soothe. Guess what? It's going to be harder for you to access those emotions. Your brain and body are going to go, uh-uh-uh. Last time we did that, you didn't take care of us, right? You didn't show up. So, so important as you're doing this work, practice the self-care. And I know I say this in the videos, I'll say like, hey, create a buffer of self-care around doing the work. But I mean it, like radical levels of self-care is going to really support you as you go through the program. Okay. And those of you that have been doing it for a while, I know you can you can attest to this and to allowing yourself to feel at a deeper level as time has gone on. So good. And one of the best places to start with self-soothing, if you're new to it, please don't be embarrassed by that. We all start somewhere. If you're really just learning like, oh, I have these and I have to learn how to tune in and I have to learn how to soothe myself. If you're there, one of the best places to start is with mindfulness, self-compassion. And in the resources part of the program, I linked there an episode I did that goes through how to do a mindfulness, self-compassion break. It's the easiest thing in the world. It's not going to be hard for you to learn. And you can just start implementing that so that you're doing it when you need it. And it's, it's less about learning all the things and more about making the space to do it, making it a priority. And sometimes if it's not natural, you got to just set a timer on your phone for three times a day to check in with yourself and say, okay, I'm going to self-soothe at these times, right? If it's not coming up for you naturally, I really would encourage you to set a timer. Okay. I got to open it up to questions because I really want to hear from you all and we have some time. So I really want to do some deep dives. So whatever questions you have for me, I'm here for you. Let's do it. If you want to unmute yourself or you want to put them in the chat, either way. Um, But I'm really excited to hear what questions you have for me. Everyone's like ferociously typing. (laughs) well i'm waiting for a question here one thing i i really do want to say is um this has just been on my been on my mind a lot um as you're doing this work you may notice that you have guilt coming up And I guess this was a theme for me because I practice what I preach. I continue to journal. I continue to be curious, you know, 
Um, I always stay present. And one of the things that's come up for me in my, my own reflection practice is realizing that I had kind of some, some guilt that I just had never, never processed. And I want you to realize this, that guilt is one of those emotions that it is going to mess up how you relate to people. It's going to cause you to not honor your boundaries. It's going to cause you to devalue yourself. Guilt is one of those sort of nasty core emotions that is at the root of a ton of, a ton of, um, toxic relationships and, the one of the ways that a narcissist will control someone is by making them feel guilty, right? Like guilt does not serve you. So this may or may not sit with you, right? But I think a lot of us here probably can relate to having carried around guilt that's getting in the way of your healing. So I want to just invite you to forgive yourself. You know what we said about in the program, I say this all the time of you're doing the best that you can. You're always doing the best that you can with what you know at the time. You're always doing the best that you can with what you know at the time. Okay. And really realizing that what we do is relationship survival behaviors. We need connection for survival. And so many of us learned unhealthy ways of being to try to maintain connection. And then we've taken those into adulthood. And yes, we've made mistakes. And yes, there's been things that we've done that we probably don't feel good about. And you're doing the best that you could with what you knew at the time. And these relationship survival behaviors were just unconscious patterns of trying to get your connection needs met because we need connection to survive. So I really want all of you as you're doing this work, yes, you're forgiving others, but you got to forgive yourself. You absolutely have to forgive yourself. Okay. Um, And destiny. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. That guilt and shame keeps you in bondage. Shame is another one of those emotions that will totally, totally sabotage you and getting close to people and building healthy connections. Shame causes us to want to hide and not be seen, right? And if we can't be seen, we can't connect. Yeah. So really just focus on, um, to wrap that up, it's just forgive yourself, please. If you know, there's things that you feel guilty about, you might have to write a letter to yourself. I was talking with one of you one-on-one earlier about in that repetition compulsion exercise, we're writing letters to other people, but sometimes we got to write a letter to our younger self and say, Hey, like, these are the ways that you let me down. And these are the things that happened. And this is how I felt. So I really want you thinking about how do I let go of what I've done, right? Of what I did to survive it, acknowledging it was a survival behavior. Um, and that should really help with self-forgiveness. Okay. Sarah says, Can you give an example of a moment situation when you personally felt emotionally dysregulated and the difference you noticed when you started to feel emotionally regulated in that same situation? Good. Yeah. Great. I feel self-aware of my emotions, but I feel like I can continue to grow in regulating my emotions effectively and would love to hear more about your journey. Yeah, Sarah. Great question. So, okay, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you an example from today. So um, my my boyfriend and I have had really opposite schedules. We're kind of 
in the season where when I'm working, he's off. And when he's working, I'm off. He doesn't have weekends free right now. Um, so we've just been pretty disconnected and we've talked about it and we know, and we're aware of it and we have acknowledged it. And then today, this morning, I had some time off and I thought that he would as well, but he decided to go fishing with one of his friends. And in my old way of being, I would have made that mean a whole lot. And I would have um, been like, okay, well, I guess fishing is just more important than our relationship. I could sort of hear that script. I was like, oh yeah, there's that old script about, you know, getting angry, getting hurt. I could have sent him a bunch of text messages like there. Oh gosh, there could have been a whole thing, right? I could have spiraled. Instead, <laughs> I was able to take a deep breath. I was able to say, hey, I'm feeling really distant from you. I miss our time together. It would be really important to me that we schedule some time together, right? And he was able to take that in and receive it. And we have time on the calendar to spend together. So that's just one example, but it's those little moments, right? Where I used to spiral, used to say things that were a reaction instead of a response. Remember, we want to get to this place where we're intentionally responding. We're responding with care. We're responding out of a securely attached place. We're, we're showing up intentionally. Um, so there's, there's just all those moments where now that my emotions are more stable, I get to respond intentionally. So thank you for that question. Yep, exactly. Communicating needs. That's a good way to put it, Sarah. It's like, it's this realization that protest behaviors, right? It's like old protest behaviors, old ways of being passive aggressive communication. It's all these ways to try to get needs met where in reality, securely attached self, emotionally regulated self is able to do the vulnerable thing and ask to have my needs met instead of reacting, right? I get to say, well, hey, these are my needs and this is how I feel. So when I'm more emotionally regulated, I'm able to be more vulnerable and ask for what I need instead of being in a reactionary place. Yeah. Exactly, Ashley. He heard me. Yes, he did. And he feels the same way. And I think that's something really beautiful about our relationship is we're really honest because there's in any relationship, I, can I say this? I mean, I feel like I haven't said this enough. So I'm just going to take a, a little tangent. Okay. A little detour, any relationship you are in, you will go through periods where you're more connected and then maybe more disconnected where you're closer. And then times where you're not feeling as close, where maybe the intimacy is really frequent and then times where it's not. So in any relationship, there's ebbs and flows in connection and being able to talk about those changes in connection is possible because of secure attachment. And then when you talk about it, it takes away the power of it, of like, oh, we're disconnected. What does that mean? Does he not love me anymore? Does he not think I'm attractive? Right? Like whatever freaking narrative I could tell about that. Okay. Um, when I'm able to just be open and honest and own it because we're securely attached, it takes the power away from those inevitable shifts in how you connect. So 
I think that just needs to be known that even in the most securely attached, great relationship, you're not going to be a hundred percent connected and passionate all of the time. It's just impossible with the way that relationships work and honestly desire, right? Like desire needs a bridge to cross. We can be really, really connected. And then there's times where we need the space and we need to grow the desire again. So I think it's it's just really important to realize that, that you're not always going to be a hundred percent connected deeply with your partner. Okay. Sarah. Hello. Hello, dear. (laughs) So Sarah says, um, I've been having a problem in my head that whenever some kind of issue arises in my dating relationship, my first thought is to think this isn't going to work. Okay. I feel like I look for perfection in order to determine if someone will be right for me. How do I change this thought process and differentiate between real issues and anxious attachment protest behaviors? Love this. Yes, Sarah. Great question. So just want to send you a ton of love and compassion because um, I think this is a very relatable scenario to be in. Um, What happens is this, that a lot of times if there's an issue that arises, your brain will tell you it's not going to work and it's doing it out of protection. It's trying to protect you. Your brain's saying, well, let's just think worst case scenario that this isn't going to work. And it's trying to say like, okay, don't don't be vulnerable. Don't feel the feelings. Stop investing in this relationship. It's slamming on the brakes. It's your brain's version of slamming on the brakes. Okay. Making a U-turn. And it's it's doing that because it's trying to protect you from getting hurt. It's collecting. It's Isn't this fascinating to think about? You have like this file cabinet in your brain that's labeled relationships. And it has all this data from other relationships. And then it goes, oh, like there was a um, something that happened that reminded me of a past thing that didn't work out. So file this under, it's not going to work out. And then your brain is saying, okay, protect ourselves. Let's get out of this as soon as we can. So it's fascinating how our brains work. Okay. Um, so instead of doing that, what we want to do is we want to do reality testing in this kind of scenario. And first off, I'd want you to self-soothe. You know, we talked all about self-soothing. So you want to get into an emotionally regulated place. You might have to do a little journaling. You might have to do the no filter text. I love this one. You're in the notes app on your phone and you just write out everything you would want to say to that person. You just get it out, zero filter, right? You might have to do that first. And then when we do reality testing, we say, okay, so what's the thought I have about this? What's the narrative? What am I telling myself? So I'm probably writing that out. Um, And then I would say, is this... I would ask myself, is this catastrophizing? Is this thought based in reality? Do I have the data that supports this thought? And then I would say, is there a more alternative balanced thought, right? What is it? What does it look like to have a thought that's based in the reality of the situation? And then I would say, is there anything that I need in order to gather more data, right? We're the love scientists here. So what happens is a lot of times your brain is just connecting the dots 
with the dots that aren't there yet. And you're just, you're sort of like filling in the gaps, but instead you probably need to gather a bit more data. And sometimes you don't, sometimes you do reality testing and you go, wow, the reality is showing me that this is really challenging and this isn't the right relationship. Right. But there's other times where you look at it and you go, okay, I'm actually just anxiously attached here. I'm uncomfortable. I'm scared of being vulnerable. I'm scared of telling myself how, or scared of telling my partner how I feel. I'm scared of asking for what I need. So it feels easier for me to just pull away from this relationship, right? So we want to challenge ourselves to show up in the reality, to be vulnerable. And then of course, you're asking yourself that question of what would securely attached me do? Securely attached Sarah, how does she navigate this, right? So that's, that's definitely some of my thoughts. I hope that was helpful, Sarah. If you want this, if you're the kind of person that wants this in writing, I think you're like, okay, I heard the reality testing, but I want to like actually do this in writing. We have a resource in the program. It's in the resources. And I believe it's, um, I think it's under, hmm, I could look it up. But it's a thought log. I know I included a thought log um, in the program. So you could definitely, if you want to write it out, there's that resource in the program too. But remember this, it's like, there's so much that your brain does to try to protect you that's actually just based on your past that doesn't match up with your current reality. It's the story of, you know, Watson um, with the white rabbit um, where he was at this like operational psych learning. I'm sure anyone who's taken psych 101, it's like, you, you know what I'm saying here? Um, he was basically from birth. They had associated anything white and fuzzy with like a, a loud, loud noise. So he became incredibly fearful. Um, and it was of rabbits. It was of Santa's beard. It was of a white fur coat. He was doing something called overgeneralization. So there'd be stimuli that came in and he would connect it to this one experience with something that was different, but it was similar enough that it made him go down the road of thinking that there was danger. So a lot of us do this in our relationships. There's things that maybe remind us of our past. And then we go, Oh my gosh, I'm going down that road again. When in reality, you're not, it's a different relationship. You're different. This is a different person. One of the most important things I want you to remember about building a new relationship is it's a new relationship. It's a blank slate, right? Make sure that when you are starting a new relationship, it's a blank slate. You're letting this person show up as they are. And you're learning about who they are and how the relationship is as it's developing. You're not taking your data from past relationships and applying it to a present one, right? And and this is part of why we do repetition compulsion and we do the inventory and we do so much work on releasing. So I definitely want to encourage you. There might be things too that, that you want to release from the past about, you know, things that didn't work out and, um, there's always, there's always room for releasing no matter how much healing we do. So there might be some releasing that you want to do. 
Well, this has been so fun. I really, I just love getting to spend this time with you all. I love your questions. This community is just so near and dear to my heart. And I seriously, when I read your posts, when I'm on calls with y'all, I just get goosebumps just thinking about how much work you're doing and how much you're healing and you're, you're showing up for yourself. So you're inspiring to me forever and always. Um, I appreciate you all so, so much. I know next week, Kathleen's going to cover for me, which I'm really excited about, or actually that's the end of the month, I think. Um, but someone is covering for me next week because it's actually my birthday week next week. So I'm taking a little bit of much needed break. Um, but then I'll be back the week after that. And as always, I'll be cheering you on and I hope to see you in the Facebook community, of course. Um, but thank you for this time this evening. And yeah, thank you for the birthday wishes. 34, man, 34 is a lot different than even 30. There's been so much change for me. So I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, it's, it's a wonderful time and yeah, I'm grateful for all of you in this community as well. Take good care of yourselves. Okay. And I'll be seeing you in two weeks then. All right, y'all. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Sarah. I know we had Trish. So good to see you. And Sarah C and Keith Ann. Ashley, always good to see you. Hetty, Destiny. Welcome, Sky. I'm so glad you were here. Um, and we'll be we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you all. Thanks for the birthday wishes. Take good care of yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, ladies. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.